Um, odd confession tonight that I have for you is that I forgot my Bible, but I feel naked without it, so I just am going to carry these books because I can't go without books when I preach. Um, so there you go. Tonight we continue our four-part uh, treatment of the charisma that Archbishop has asked all of the dioceses to be engaged with this. Right? And charisma is that the Greek word in the New Testament that means the basic gospel message. Right? So at the beginning of that, the first week we talked about creation, how God created the world good, which if you think about that deeply has consequences. It's something a lot of people today don't actually believe. But God created the world good. And then the second week we talked about captured and how through sin, Satan actually became what Jesus calls the prince of this world. And that's such a critical piece. I don't know if you were here with me for that mass. But if you don't get that, you'll never rejoice in the good news. The hardest people to, to break through with the gospel to are not people who have big sins. It's people who are apathetic. They just don't need God. Everything's great. They've got washboard abs and they have, you know, perfect lives. And they, they drive around in BMWs like the gods of California. And they don't, they don't need God. Those are the hardest people. And so that, that second piece is a critical piece for us to realize how desperately we need God in our lives. Then last week we hit on rescued, right? That God doesn't come to save us because we've done something good or because we got our act together, but at the perfect moment, Christ broke in this world to rescue us when we couldn't have even hoped for it. And so tonight we come to the, the, the fourth piece, which is our response. How do we respond to this? So tonight's homily, right? We always have sponsors here at Lourdes because um, I have never had an original thought in my entire life. But tonight's homily is sponsored by Pope Benedict. And basically all I want to share with you tonight is from him because uh, he is so magnificent. I oftentimes think that so much of my life, my mission in life is to help you to have... Uh, just the knowledge and the wisdom of Pope Benedict and Balthazar and de Lubach and Aquinas and these different thinkers. Okay, so Pope Benedict says this. He talks about in one of his homilies, his boyhood, where he grew up in southern Germany and Bavaria. And he talks about the beautiful churches in Bavaria. And when you go to a church, here's one of the things you should know. If a church is built Truly, and with the Catholic mindset, churches are meant to teach us something. They're supposed to speak to us. Right? So when you walk into the cathedral, what, what the cathedral downtown is meant to do for us, the, the first thing you always do is you walk in and it so, has such a verticality to it that you just feel like you're walking in and the sky just opened up. And churches are meant to say to us that we can walk into the mystery of the Christian life. We don't just think about it. We don't just profess it to be true. But if a church is built properly, we walk into it and the mystery of Christ surrounds us. 
That's what a good church does. And so, for instance, at the cathedral, right, you might walk in, and for someone who, who hasn't thought much about it yet, you might look at the cathedral downtown and say, well, these guys had a boring color palette. They were terrified of color. Everything is white. But if you think about it, right, and you come to reflect on the title of our cathedral is the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. And so everything being white in the cathedral is not a mistake or a budget cut, right? It's teaching us something. And we can walk into that church and feel like there's a mystery that we're stepping into. Love that. The seminary cathedral, if you ever get to go there, seminary's gotten a lot more strict over the years. When I was there, like, lay people could come to Mass, at least for, like, half my time. Now you're, they have an electric fence, and you'll get shocked if you try to step in. Um, but the, cathed- the, or the chapel at the seminary is gorgeous. It is absolutely spectacular. And the architect who designed it, he wanted us to step into a mystery when we stepped into that chapel. And so when you walk into that chapel, there's six pillars on every side, on each side. All right, so a total of 12, and each one of them has a medallion at the top that tells you an identity of one of the 12 apostles who are the new priests of the New Testament. In a chapel where the men who will become the priests of Denver would pray for seven years. The chapel at the seminary, it has... The steps going up to the altar are the exact number of steps along the way to become a priest. Uh, there's a bunch of more stuff that, that you can look into. All the colors that the architect chose at the seminary chapel, they were all chosen from colors natural to Colorado. To say that this is the place where the Church of Denver right, would give birth to its priests. Love that. I prayed in that chapel for seven years. So Pope Benedict, he talks about in southern Germany and Bavaria, there's a bunch of Baroque churches. And in the Baroque churches of Bavaria, he says it's customary that when you would go into one of them, the altar is against the back wall. And above the, the, the tradition was that above the altar, there were doors painted on the wall portals. And I love this image. He talks about how what happens there is oftentimes if the doors would be open or the portals, and it was like a window opening up into something greater. And so when you came to Mass, you would look at the sanctuary, and it was as if you could see into a new world. And I want to use that image tonight as what it means to have faith. The response, right, with, with the kerygma, with that fourth piece, right, the, fourth, the fourth part of the kerygma is our response. And, and I just want to remind you, right, as Christians, we don't believe Christianity starts with you. Christianity does not begin with you getting your act together. It does not start with you kind of, I don't know, doing the right thing and going and serving the poor. It doesn't start there. It starts with Christ. 
with his love for us. But once that's happened, you and I have to respond. The church has always said the proper response when you realize that all this isn't just a nice thought, it's not just something that kind of like, well, my neighbors are Buddhists, the people down the hall are atheists, I'm a Christian. But when you realize that this is actually true, when the love of God breaks into your heart and soul and mind and transforms your life, something has to change. And what the church says has to change, what we, the, the broad category we use for that is what we call faith. So what's faith? If you've come to Lord's often, you know what it's not. Right? Faith is not, you know, a checklist. Okay, God is one and he's three. Okay, okay, Father Brian, if you say so, check, right? Uh, on and on and on. These things I believe and the moral actions I do. That's not faith. Faith is a surrender where you and I hand over our lives, we take a step towards God. And that image of that church in Bavaria, what I love about this. So imagine this. If someone saw you walking into that church, it looks like you're entering into a place that has an enclosed space. It looks like you're going into a place that is narrow and small. And if you think about it, your life of faith, people, if you live your faith, people will think that about you. Whenever someone truly encounters Christ and they change their life, and they give their life over to him, the world outside doesn't get it. And they look at you and they say, you had such potential. We thought you were going to be fun. We thought we had great plans for you, and you decided to become narrow and stiff and small. Right? The world thinks this about us. But if you were inside that church, you experience it not as a place that comes to an end, just to a wall, but a place that opens up a new dimension of reality. So Pope Benedict talks about how you would look at that wall and, and the painting on the, on the back and you would, you would see the mysteries of heaven or the sacraments or the passion of Christ through these portals. And what faith means, brothers and sisters, is it means seeing the world anew. Right? It means that before I thought, I thought I understood the world, but when Christ broke in, I saw something new, and now I'm taking a step through those doors. And again, from the outside, it looks like your life is coming to an end. For us in the inside, if you have the eyes of faith, you never experience it this way. If you have the eyes of faith, you might, you're going to for sure say no to some things that you had before and some stuff you cared about before will seem unimportant. But you won't experience it as an end of life. You'll, be, you'll experience it as the beginning of real life and a walking towards that portal. A couple examples of this. 
you, if you haven't heard me talk about him, uh, Monsignor Glenn was one of my priests I really looked up to in my life. He vested me and preached my first Mass as a priest. And Father Glenn's story is my story, and it's your story, because it's the story of every Christian. Monsignor Glenn was raised in a good Christian home. He had his sacraments. He had a promising future. He went off to the Naval Academy. His parents were both naval officers. He came from kind of a, a, a lower-class family, socioeconomically. And he went off to Annapolis, and he was doing great. But halfway through his freshman year out in Annapolis, the love of God broke into his life. And Michael Glenn, super talented guy, he's an amazing man. He left Annapolis and he went to Franciscan University of Steubenville. He went there after one or two years and then he knew he was called to priesthood. And so he left there and he went to, he went to go study for the priesthood. And think of what that looked like for people outside. It's like looking at that church in Bavaria. Someone steps in and it's just a dead end. We had such hope for Michael. He was so talented. Right? He was one of the priests. I hate this term, but everyone called him Father What a Waste because he was so good looking. People say that to me too. Um, <laughs> but... But they would always say that about him. And Glenn had everything. And everybody would be like, well, his life's over. When you become a priest, the same thing happened to me when I went off to seminary. Right? People are like, Brian has such, such potential. There could be such a future for him. And you know what everybody says? I say, they say, what are you doing next in your life, Brian? I say, I'm going to go be a Catholic priest. And they look at you and they say, that's nice. I think I have to go get a drink. And you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, why would you do that? Why would you enter into a closed door? But I didn't experience it that way. Neither did Monsignor Glenn. When I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't experience it as I have to give up all this stuff. That was also true. I experienced it as something I never even realized opened up in front of me. Heaven is actually real. My life has a meaning and a purpose, and a calling on it that God put on my life. And Jesus, how could I do anything but walk through those doors? This is what faith is, brothers and sisters. Faith is not thinking correct thoughts. Faith is surrender. It's a love that has broken into your life, and in return, our hearts can't do anything except say, Jesus, here am I, I will follow. And tonight, when I watch, I hope you go home with tonight, and I hope you can pray with during this Mass, is I know there's something in your life that God's saying that to you about. 
know there is. You are not like other people. You are not called to an ordinary life. You are not called to be like everybody else. And you know it. But it's not a moral calling. It's a calling into joy. That's faith. And I want to leave you with one last image tonight. My favorite image of this. The greatest image of faith in the history of the world, outside that of Jesus himself, is the Blessed Virgin. There has never been a human being who embodied the fullness of faith in the way that Mary did. And Advent is such a Marian season. And I want you tonight, brothers and sisters, when you receive the Eucharist, when Jesus Christ comes to physically dwell inside of your body, just like he came to physically dwell inside of Mary, ask for her heart. Ask for the heart of that girl who said yes with everything she had. We don't think about this enough, at least I don't. Mary, you know, I, sometimes I don't know what little girls think about when they are, you know, little girls, what they want to be. Lots of things, I'm sure. In ancient Israel, you might think that little girls would be like, well, I want to be the mother of the Messiah. Right? What a great thing. And, and, you know, sometimes we think, well, if I lived in first century Israel, like, I'd be way better than Joseph. Like, where is he? He doesn't even talk. Right? You might say, I'd be an apostle. I'd be better than this person or that person. Ladies, maybe you'd be like, maybe I could be like Mary. What we don't think about is the cost of Mary's faith. And I want, you, I want to remind you about that tonight. Mary's 14 when Gabriel appears to her. She's a 14-year-old girl. And Mary's yes, right? You and I say yes to things. But oftentimes I say yes in a way that's kind of limited. Yes, I will make an appearance at the party as long as it's not lame and boring. Yes, I will help you move on Saturday. Yes, I will be a good sibling or a good spouse. As long as... The kind of yes that Mary gave to God was not like that. Mary's yes to God was everything. Everything. Her virginity is the symbol of that. That's why it matters. Her virginity is the symbol in the church. And this is 1 Corinthians 7 for another, another homily. Virginity in Mary's life is the symbol that her entire being, everything, belongs to God. Absolutely everything. So Mary's 14. She says yes. She becomes the mother of God at the Annunciation. And it cost her so much. Right? We live in the most uh, kind of licit, sexually licit society or illicit society in all of history. And if a 14-year-old girl gets pregnant in our time, there's a lot of problems for that girl. Imagine first century Israel. An extraordinarily religious culture and an extraordinarily morally strict culture. 
It is not smiled upon when 14-year-old girls in Israel get pregnant. And Mary, Mary says yes. And she can't explain it to anybody. Hey, mom and dad, guess what happened? There's this angel. And we didn't know about this thing, but he's, I guess God has something called the Holy Spirit. Nine months, we're going to have a birthday. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Mary can't tell anyone. She can't tell Joseph. She can't tell her parents. When you say yes to God, there are consequences. And oftentimes, it will isolate you. Mary's yes, though, didn't just isolate her. Mary's yes, right, was a yes that went all the way to the cross. That's faith. It's a love for God, a yes that says, even the person who is the center of my life, my son, I will follow him even to his death. That's faith. But Mary, and I'll leave you with this tonight, this is my favorite Advent meditation. Mary would have all these problems. People around her, right? I imagine people in the marketplaces, she could hear them gossiping about her, pointing and laughing in her isolation. But Mary, of course, wasn't sad. She was the most joyful person who ever lived because Jesus lived inside of her. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you have faith, if you look at those doors and that horizon is open to you and God calls you and says, forget what's behind, come with me to what is new. If you follow through those doors, brothers and sisters, you will have problems. You will have external problems just like Mary did. But you'll also have her joy. Right? Because Jesus will live inside of you. And so, Lord, tonight, as we get close to Christmas, Jesus, help us to be real Christians. Lord, give me faith like the Blessed Virgin Mary had faith. May I not just believe that you're God, but may I walk after you. May I love you so much, Lord, that I will leave behind whatever I have to. But Jesus, if we follow after you, Lord, give us faith, but give us the joy that you gave to your mother. 